So you probably are aware by now that we use Anchor.fm here on this podcast for COVID-19 PPC. And I wanted to tell you about Anchor.fm because this is actually the second uh, podcast hosting software I've used. And um, I really like it. I love how easy it is to use. I love the fact that it's free. And they have so many tools here like music and all these different options that help you record and edit your podcast either from your phone or your PC or your computer. And then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And then also you can even make money from your podcast with minimum, with no minimum listenership. And it's all you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're new to podcasting and you're interested in um, getting started, I recommend Anchor.fm. So what you can do is download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started um, that's my recommendation. And, um, you know, after almost a year of podcasting, I'm really glad I found Anchor just recently. It just makes things so much easier. And, uh, yeah, come check out anchor.fm. Welcome to season two of COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. In these episodes, we share international stories about the pandemic around the world, what it looks like in everyday lives, as well as what it looks like from the eyes of researchers and professionals who work on the pandemic, on controlling the pandemic. This podcast is designed for information to be translatable. This podcast is designed to translate information from epidemiologists, emergency medical professionals, and those who do work on the front lines with the pandemic firsthand in everyday living and what it looks like in everyday family culture as an individual just living on planet Earth during this time. In these episodes, you will learn more about the pandemic and how to protect yourselves and others during this historic moment. We are at a crucial time in public health with the global crises of the pandemic in addition to climate change. This is our moment as public health professionals, academics, and entrepreneurs to work together collectively to consider solutions and perceive creative ways to work through these major challenges, these wicked problems that we're facing around the world. I encourage you to visit us at publichealthpodcasters.com to learn more about how podcasting can be leveraged to improve public health, health equity, and to support communities building diverse infrastructure in community, global, and environmental health. Again, visit us at publichealthpodcasters.com and learn more about our membership opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of COVID-19, Public Health Policy and Culture. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about misinformation and disinformation. And today, we're speaking with Caroline Orbueno. She is a postdoc at the University of Maryland. She studies cognitive security. She can tell us more about that. Uh, And she covers misinformation and disinformation through algorithms and big data. And I'm really excited to have this conversation about Uh, COVID and what's going on in terms of misinformation and disinformation. So welcome, Caroline. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you. Welcome again. And tell us a little bit more about your work and what's co what is cognitive security? So I, um, I study basically <laughs> um, how to help people navigate the bad parts of uh, technology and how we can um, utilize you know, the um, utilize some of these exciting new technologies to um, to address uh, some of some of these major problems we're facing, like um, disinformation and um, cybersecurity problems and information security problems, malign influence campaigns. Um, and I, a big part of my um, focus is on um, misinformation, disinformation and, and influence surrounding um, public health issues, particularly issues such as vaccination, which obviously right now is, um, is quite a huge issue. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Thank you. And it's so interesting that I introduced this episode as a conversation on misinformation and disinformation. However, what I forgot to mention is that our conversation began because we were going to be discussing long-term effects of COVID and bringing awareness of that as well. So we've got actually two kinds of topics we're going to be addressing today. Yes. And, I, you know, that <laughs> the, the long-term COVID stuff is, is you know, the, the personal side of this for me, unfortunately, um, and, and the mis disinformation aspect is the professional side of this. Mm -hmm. Thank you for identifying, you know, these two dimensions of like what is personal and what is professional and how they do intersect, especially as we talk about this pandemic, how it affects every single one of us around the world. Very much so. I think, you know, most of us at this point, um, certainly all of us have some sort of personal impact. And um, a lot of us also now our professional lives are, are also, um, you know, shaped by this, this, this thing that we've, we've been confronted with for now almost two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, no end in sight just yet. Unfortunately, no, I think this is, you know, kind of a, a long-term thing for us and, and we'll just kind of require, you know, we're, we'll have to adapt, we have before, and we'll do it again. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So please tell us a little bit more about your story as it relates to this, you know, the long COVID um, experience and, you know, what we've heard and what we've seen out there. Um, what was your experience? What has been your experience so far? So I was living in uh, New York City when the pandemic started. And um, of course, New York City, you know, very quickly became sort of the, um, you know, the epicenter of the pandemic. And um, it, you know, it was everywhere, basically. And, you know, there was at that time, there was no vaccine. Um, and really we were still figuring out things like masks and you know at the time it wasn't clear if um if it was uh sticking around on surfaces or uh if it was airborne and you know there there were just a lot of things then that um you know, the, the, as, as unclear as the science remains now, back then, you know, we just had no idea. 
And again, there were no vaccines. And so uh, about a month, about a month or six weeks um, after things really started to get bad in uh, New York City, uh, both my husband and I uh, got COVID. And my husband um, is, uh, it works at a, a large um, hospital slash medical school in New York City, actually in the uh, infectious disease division. And um, so that was, that added sort of another dynamic to this experience for us because, um, you know, he went to work throughout the entire um, pandemic and, and, you know, was not able to um, you know, have the luxury of, of staying home. So uh, we had to take a lot of precautions, of course, because he was, you know, coming in and out every day and, um, you know, going in and out of a hospital. He was not having direct patient contact. So took away that large risk, but both of us got sick. Um, neither of us were extremely ill. I mean, it, it, both of us had pre, I mean, I had an extremely mild case of COVID. Um, you know, I had a little bit of, of shortness of breath, a little bit of a cough, um, and a mild fever, um, I think for like two days and that was it. And, um, you know, it was an unremarkable illness in the acute sense. Um, and then around one of the things that really complicated this whole experience for me is that I got pregnant right around that same time. So I had COVID and then I, I can't remember the, exactly the um, how long there was between, you know, having COVID and finding out I was pregnant. It was not long. Um, and so my long-term COVID symptoms, it, it was not clear to me for quite a while that those symptoms were, were from COVID, not from pregnancy. So I thought for a very long time, I thought the, the, symptoms that I was experiencing were just kind of strange pregnancy symptoms. Um, and I had, for example, some of the, um, some of the most severe long-term uh, symptoms that I have are related to the loss of um, smell. I, I still, to this day, um, really can't smell much at all. Um, and the, the, the sense that I do experience and the things that I can smell are radically different than they were before. So nothing smells the same. Um, you know, everything smells just strange and different. Um, and I, as a result, things taste very strange and very different. Um, I, I lost my taste for, um, you know, a ton of my favorite uh, foods, drinks. I uh, one of the things that I lost my taste for, particularly, and that seems to be somewhat of a pattern, um, 
among people with these long-term COVID symptoms is coffee. Um, I love coffee, um, or I used to. And um, I, at, at this point, I can still sort of drink it if I water it down with enough uh, milk, but um, the taste of coffee is now one of the worst, um, you know, of anything, but it, it is kind of across the board. You know, I lost my taste for most of the things that I used to like eating and drinking. Um, and the things that I did not lose my taste for taste, just like the smell thing, radically different. Nothing tastes the same. So one of the sort of weirdest experiences is that, you know, I still, obviously it hasn't been that long. So I still remember what things are supposed to taste like. And I'll have cravings for what I remember something tasting like. Like I, I've had, um, I remember having a, a craving once for a cinnamon raisin bagel with butter. And butter is one of the things now that, um, you know, I, I can't stand the taste of it. It tastes rotten and smells rotten to me. Um, but <laughs> I will get a craving for the, the way that I remember butter tasting before all of this. Um, so it's kind of like this insatiable craving because there's no way to eat the thing that I want because nothing, you know, the thing that I want, I can't, I basically, I can't have that experience anymore. Um, so that, uh, the, you know, the smell and taste symptoms, you know, in a way that it kind of sounds like, a, you know, a, a minor problem in the grander scheme of things, particularly when you're talking about people dying. Um, and certainly, you know, it is better to, to have these long-term symptoms, but to be alive. However, it is the impact on quality of life is, is significant to not be able to smell or taste, you know, uh, foods and not be able to enjoy foods is a significant um, loss. And um, I also, I do have some other um, symptoms that, uh, you know, I, I don't have any I don't have any other explanation for, you know, I, I obviously I can't say definitively all of this is from COVID, but I can say that um, these symptoms didn't exist before I had COVID and now they do. Um, when so did I, you come to the realization about the difference between your pregnancy experience and, and the COVID experience? It was not until quite a while, actually, after I gave birth um you know I, I kind of expected that after I I you know had my daughter and and things kind of started to go back to normal um you know that that some of the weird um you know scent smell taste issues would go away just like you know most women who have um you know food aversions during pregnancy they'll go away not long after uh, giving birth. But mine never, never went away. And um, 
you know, never changed in intensity. And um, I kind of, I, you know, started looking around, I think reading, you know, other people talking about these same symptoms and there's a sort of a remarkable um, similarity in the way a lot of people seem to experience this um, loss of, of smell and taste in that, you know, it's not just that you can't smell and can't taste, but in addition to that, there's a, like, um, a, a very unpleasant um, experience that, you know, certain foods seem to particularly trigger this. Uh, again, it is almost, for me, it, it smells and tastes like things are literally like, like rotten or, um, um, or burning. Those are like the, the two main um, uh, categories of taste and smell when it comes to food. Mm -hmm. And obviously neither of those are things that you particularly want your food to smell or taste like. Right. Yeah, that's no fun at all. And I mean, the reason I asked about the pregnancy thing is just because, um, you know, I'm part of the autoimmune community, the chronic illness community, and I've heard um, various examples about, um, you know, people who were pregnant and how difficult it was for them to come to a diagnosis because of the pregnancy and yes. physicians kind of just like writing everything off as a pregnancy experience. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I myself, you know, I just kind of assumed that that was you know, that was what it was. And um, it was not, you know, again, until after, uh, you know, months. And again, it's now been a, a year tomorrow um, since I had my daughter. And, you know, these symptoms have, have not gone away at, at all. And um, in some cases uh, have actually gotten worse in that time. Um, so, you know, it, it, it to me seems, you know, there, there is no association um, between those symptoms and pregnancy now that, you know, I, I can separate out the, um, their, their presentation now in the year since giving birth. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're mentioning that some of these symptoms have not improved yet over time. You're hearing, you're feeling that some of them may not be getting better, but going the other way? Yeah, um, you know, I have, so one of the things that um, I developed after having COVID again, you know, I, I, I can't say because of COVID, but I think it's likely that that is the explanation. Um, I developed some pretty bad nerve uh, pain and uh, nerve, damage. You know, there are, um, I have like two particular places. One is um, an area of my back and then there's my feet that will just, that they're just numb. And, you know, like, there's an area on my back that was never like this before, but, you know, literally it, it, it will itch and I can't scratch it because it's numb and I can't feel myself scratching it. It's the weirdest thing I've ever, I mean, I, I, I can't explain it. I have no idea, 
you know, how that would be a result of a virus. Um, and then, you know, the, the nerve pain is a pretty classic, uh, you know, that, that sort of burning um, slash feeling like somebody is like snapping a rubber band under my skin. Um, and that, <laughs> that is clearly not pleasant. Um, and then I have um, some new vision um, issues. It's not necessarily like uh, my like vision loss. It's more, um, it's, it's, seems to come in cycles, you know, it'll happen for an hour and then go away and then come back and then go away. But where um, I get very large areas in my line of sight that, again, it's not that I can't see, but it's um, the, the best thing that I can compare it to is if you've ever had a migraine and experienced an aura where you sort of see these like really bright, um, uh, kind of parts of your field of vision get very bright and you know usually precedes a migraine um that is the closest thing that i can compare it to except it's not associated with migraines it just it is it, just something that happens now um pretty routinely um and obviously that it, it makes it very difficult to, for example, read um, because entire parts of my field of vision will be um, essentially not accessible. Um, if you imagine like somebody shining a bright flashlight in your eye, that's essentially what it, it feels like. So I can't see whatever is in that part of my um, field of, of vision um, for however the length of time this you know, again, it comes and goes. It's not like that all the time. And I have not been able to identify like a, a um, particular trigger that, you know, makes it happen or makes it go away. It just kind of seems to come and go and take on a little life of its own. <laughs> mm. So um, as you were, you know, as you spoke to people, maybe you looked on social media, maybe did some research on this, asked some questions about what these long-term experiences have been with yourself and others, what have you learned along the way? Well, there's a, I mean, for one thing, there are a lot of people um, you know, suffering right now and a lot of people um, who are, are rightly, you know, quite scared. And um, you know, I think it is, um, as we as we look at at recovering from the pandemic, you know, this is going to be really one of the huge challenges that um, that we're going to have to confront because there's there's a lot of people like me, you know, who had a very minor course of illness and you know didn't need to go to. I mean, I barely needed to see a doctor, um, and then two years, well, not a year and a half later you know, I'm still dealing with it. Um, and so I think, you know, that, that is, is one thing just that, um, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of people out there who are kind of silently um, 
struggling with this. And um, I think as we emerge from the pandemic, those people will become uh, more visible and, and it will start to become clearer, um, you know, just, just how much of a problem this is and how many people are, are dealing with it. And, um, you know, it, it seems to encompass I mean, one of the, you know, this is, I, I think, true with a lot of post-viral um, syndromes is that this seems to encompass just a huge range of symptoms. So it's, you know, it's hard to say, um, you know, what is, what is caused by, you know, or what is the impact of um, having had COVID and what might be, you know, some random secondary thing that, that is unrelated to COVID that developed during the same time period. Um, but, you know, when you look at, at the array of symptoms that people experience, you know, they, it's like every system of the body. Um, and, you know, the, it, it is, um, like they said, I think it's, it's going to become more apparent as, as we get through this acute period of the pandemic and, um, you know, start to look more towards the, the long term. I think this it will it will you know become clearer to the rest of the um, population. Sort of what what people have been um, dealing with while they've been at home and um, you know been been isolated during this period. How are you coping with this? What are some of the strategies that you've been using to kind of uh, maintain your well being? Um, well, we moved out of the city. <laughs> that was uh, a big thing. Um, it, I, it, to me, I found it to be sort of too much to um, the, the noises and um, the lack of green space and yeah, just not being able to find, you know, quiet, open spaces and fresh air. Um, was just too much on top of everything else. And so um, I, my, my husband and uh, my daughter and I moved um, out, we live in the mountains now, um, which is a, is a very nice way to, um, you know, to, to be dealing with this. And it, it helps significantly to be able to get, just get fresh air, clear my head um, and, and be in a, you know, more, um, just what feels like a healthier environment in general. Um, and, you know, I think being able to get outside, get physical activity, um, I, you know, is, is clearly important for overall health. But I think also, you know, when you're dealing with, um, with something like this, where, you might be inclined to want to like hole up inside and just you know lay on the couch or whatever. Um, I think as, as much as you can kind of fight that urge and you know get back outside and um, and and just get you know move around and, and be in nature. I, I view that personally as very um, you know relaxing and almost meditative. And then. Also for me, you know, 
talking about this and um, to some degree, you know, writing and um, my, you know, my research kind of touches up against some of this. You know, it's feeling like I am um, doing something to help other people who are in a similar, uh, you know, a similar place, but who might not have, um, you know, the resources that that I do, or or the, um, you know, the I can I have a background in public health, so I I kind of can navigate these spaces a little bit um, easier than some other people, and you know, so feeling like I am doing something to help other people, um, it, it is important also to, um, it, it's very important to me. Thank you. I love hearing that you are being very proactive about what is improving your quality of life. And also the fact that you have this desire to help other people who are going through the similar, similar struggles. And I think that's wonderful that you're, you know, looking at these two uh, ways of, of helping yourself and others. I think that's, that's just beautiful. And um, I wish you the best of health and, um, you know, keep maintaining um, self-care um, processes. And hopefully we will get to the bottom of this in terms of research and, and guidance on how to improve our quality of life out there with COVID um, and these, um, these continuing symptoms as well. Um, what message would you have to share with the world right now? Um, I guess, so I would kind of give, I think two, um, and the first one is a very basic one that you have certainly heard before, which is to please get vaccinated. Um, this is not, yeah, I didn't have the choice to get vaccinated before I had COVID because I had it before the vaccines uh, existed. And, you know, this is, kind of what I'm stuck with. Um, I still consider myself to be lucky. You know, again, I didn't have a severe case. I wasn't hospitalized. I'm alive. Um, but, you know, it, like it, it has a significant impact on quality of life. And at this, you know, at this time, I have no idea if it will, um, if, if life will ever return to anything that is, you know, resembles normal. Um, so, you know, I, I just, if you have the chance to avoid this through vaccination, I would, you know, I, I can't encourage that enough. Um, and then, you know, the, the other message is just, um, you know, I think I would say to, um, you know, the people who are, are, um, dealing with with these long-term symptoms, you know, to um, talk about it, to um, share what is, is going on, to, um, you know, find communities online. And, um, you know, there is, there really is su support out there. And, um, you know, you, you don't have to um, deal with this by yourself or, um, you know, you don't have to deal with the fear associated with it and all of that um, on your own. There are a lot of people out there um, who are going through similar things and or who, um, you know, understand these post-viral syndromes and um, can help 
you know, maybe start to make sense of it uh, with you. And so, you know, I think that is that is sort of the second big thing is just, you know, no, nobody has to um, do this on their own. We, are, we live in a world that is more interconnected than ever before, which obviously has its uh, very dramatic downsides, but also some very positive uh, aspects. And one of the positive aspects is that, um, you know, during times like this, when you're home and, um, you know, you can't necessarily see people and go out places, very easily, you can still remain connected and still find those those communities. And um, I I would highly recommend doing that. Honestly, I would recommend doing that even if you're not somebody dealing with long term symptoms, just because it you know it's good to have um, you know it's good to have your community and your place where um, uh, during times like this when um, you know you have somewhere where you can go, where you feel like you belong and, um, and are heard. So, um, you know, make, make use of, of the technology that we have, put it to some good use. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do you have any um, links uh, that you would like us to know about that you'd like to share with us on social media? So I am on um, Twitter and Instagram as um, I'm RVA Wong. Uh, that's R-V-A-W-O-N-K. Um, I am I, I'm mainly a Twitter person. I, I, I do some Instagram, but um, Twitter is, is my, uh, my, primary, my primary place. And I'm, I, you know, I publish um, as much as I can, um, which these days is not as much as I would like to, but um, I, I publish some articles um, like outside of, of um, you know, scientific journals with some regularity on things like the anti-vaccine movement and disinformation and misinformation. And um, I usually will post those on my Twitter feed. So if that is something you're interested in, you can um, you know, find that there um, most. I try to publish something every, I would like to publish something at least once, uh, once a week, but I'm not quite hitting that right now, but maybe this will, maybe saying that out loud will be my motivation to actually do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, this time today and sharing with us your experience with long-term COVID and um, just sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for, for reaching out and, um, you know, giving time to this this issue and um, and highlighting it. It is an important issue, and it's nice to see you know people um, starting to you know recognize it and and giving giving time to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. Thank you, and all the best of care and recovery. Best Thank wishes you. to you. Thank, Thank you. you.